Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. During the fall in worship at DPC, we have been focusing on some difficult teachings from Jesus. We have heard of him saying that the most important relationship any of us is to have is our tie with him. And say that we need to repent by calling to mind some individuals who died in tragic circumstances. Jesus said that when we have a party, that we shouldn't only invite the people who can repay us that favor, and he certainly inferred that God only listens to persistent prayers. Jesus said that we might call ourselves worthless slaves. And then just last week, we listened in as he said that even the right deed will ring empty if our heart is not in it. It has been a tough road as we have pondered all of those instruction moments from Jesus. And yet at many points along the way, we have learned of some Middle Eastern pieces behind his words, not so obvious to our Western ears, that have enabled us to hear the message in a way that somehow makes it not as harsh or as challenging. That will not be the case today. The passage before us this morning, one might arguably say it is the most difficult thing Jesus ever said to someone who would be one of his disciples, and in the moment he spoke it, that would-be follower left. And yet even though my hunch is that hearing those words will be an uncomfortable thing for us. And even though I suspect that many of us too will conclude that it's a standard we cannot meet, we move forward and listen, trusting that even in the midst of those words, there is a message of hope. It describes a conversation that began when someone says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It is an encounter found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. And collectively, those three authors fill in the details about this one who is speaking to Jesus. For Luke tells us he was a ruler. Matthew says he was young. And Mark joins in the other two in letting us know this man was rich. Thus, a rich young ruler says to Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds by objecting the term good, saying that that really only applies to God, and then went on to say, You know the commandments, and then named five of the ten that had been given to Moses at Sinai. 
The young man says, I've kept all of those since my youth. And Jesus says, well, there's one thing still lacking. Go, sell all of your possessions, give the proceeds to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Luke tells us that the young man was sad, for he was very rich. And even though this passage doesn't give us the detail, the implication is that the young man leaves. It is then that Jesus goes on to say how hard it is for someone with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Truly, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Someone else who was present for that conversation says to Jesus, well then, who can be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with human beings is possible with God. In the commentaries that I focused on this past week, there was some conversation about why Jesus picked the five commandments he did instead of the other five. There was all kinds of ink given to trying to explain what he meant with this camel eye of the needle image, including that traditional understanding that he was speaking of some gate in the walls of Jerusalem that a camel would have to duck down in order to enter. Someone else pointed out that in older manuscripts, it's not the word camel, but rather rope. And that in the Greek, there's just one letter that distinguishes the two. And for a rope, too, this would be a challenging kind of passage. While still others say that simply Jesus was offering an extreme example, simply to lift up that which was impossible. It all makes for interesting speculation. And yet it does nothing to deal with that central and clear statement that he makes to that young man to sell everything that he has and give it away. That's a hard word. It's one that as a disciple, I personally and am unable to do. My hunch is that that is true for others in this room as well. And yet still we're left with these words from Jesus. How hard it would be for someone with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, one way that we might try to soften it a little bit is to, in our own mind, think, well, surely Jesus was speaking of the Warren Buffetts or Melinda Gates of his era. That none of us rise to that level, and as far as I know, none of us is still that unidentified winner of the $2.2 billion lottery ticket sold last week. And so we might easily say, well, this really doesn't apply to us until we look closer and how it is people on our planet live. I did some research this past week, and there's all kinds of information that's out there. One that I found said that the medium, medium monthly income, so medium exactly in the middle between the highest and the lowest, the median monthly income in the world is $850. And that someone who has an annual income of $41,000 is among the richest 
3% of the whole population of this planet, and that there are at least 750 million people who live on $2 or less a day. It's startling. Put another way, if we had enough to eat before going to sleep last night in a warm house, if we awoke to a place that has running water and had options of clean clothes, Jesus's description fits us. And so to us too, he says how hard it would be for someone with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I'm not going to even try to explain that word away. Sometimes I think there is a benefit for us simply to sit with Jesus' words as hard as they are and see what emerges. And yet, I can't help but think that at least part of what he was saying to that young man of long ago, is that there has always been this kind of power that money has on people. And that what Jesus wants us to experience is a kind of life in which somehow we break that power. True story is told of a man a number of years ago walking through downtown Seattle, it was during December, and he saw one of those Salvation Army kettles. As he walked up, the woman was ringing the bell, and in really uncharacteristic generosity for this man, he reached in his pocket, pulled out all his loose change, and put it in the kettle, and then began to walk away. But then he stopped, and he went back, and he grabbed his wallet, and he pulled it out and put all of his money that he had in his wallet in the kettle, and then he turned and walked away. And there was a bounce in his step, there was a smile on his face, and it lasted for two blocks. For he caught himself and said, what have I done? And the man walks back, he asks for his money back that he had put in the kettle, and the woman gave it to him. And then he walked quickly away with his head down, looking neither to the left or the right. In writing about that moment, a man named Donnell McClellan said this. For two blocks, that man walked in the kingdom of God. For two blocks, he was free of the burden of his possessions. For two blocks, he put other people above himself. For two blocks, he was self-giving and generous. For two blocks, he was blessed. But like most of us, he could not stand the uncertainty that goes with that much blessing. He wanted to continue to think that he is in control. And so he walked back out of the realm of God and back into the well-worn grooves of this weary world. However else we understand Jesus' words, he wanted to change that. He wanted individuals to come to realize that money clearly has a place in our lives, but it has to be in its proper place. He wanted individuals to understand 
that those possessions are a tool and not the goal, and that there is something about how we use them that can give us a glimpse of eternal life right now. That's one of the reasons that as a community of faith, we encourage our members to prayerfully think about what it is they're going to give back to God through the church. And a year ago this month, our congregation made its commitments for our generosity initiative called Be Renewed. It was, again, a two-year effort to provide all that we needed for our ministry and mission as a congregation for two years, 2022-2023. On that Sunday, 279 households pledged $3.4 million over the next two years. And our members have been faithful in giving in response to what they had committed and others who didn't feel ready to make that commitment have given as well. It was another generous undertaking and demonstration. And yet clearly it is something that the church needs to be engaged in our ministry together, but it is something that the giver needs. For we understand that human beings need a way to show their gratitude to God. We need a way to demonstrate our understanding that everything we have ultimately is a blessing from God. And so we're engaged in that kind of conversation and that kind of reflection as it demonstrates one's giving back to the church, but it is a larger question that is meant to be demonstrated in our life outside these walls, too. Peter Marty is the editor of Christian Century magazine. A number of years ago, he told the story of his uncle Mike, who was in Minneapolis for a conference during the winter, and how his overcoat got stolen at the hotel. Next day, Mike was walking to a mall to get a sweater. He needed something for added warmth. And he, he saw a man sitting on a bench that was heckling pedestrians. And the man wore a coat that looked an awful lot like his. And it clearly did not fit the man. So he, he Mike walked up to the stranger and said, I used to have a coat like that, but it was stolen yesterday. And the man said, well, where did that happen? And when Mike named the hotel, the man stood up and took off the coat and said, here it is. I was cold. I knew I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry that I took your coat. I'm sorry that it's dirty, but, but I want you to have it back. So Mike gives the man $5, puts the coat on, and begins walking back to his hotel. And a couple of blocks later, he realizes it's not his coat. <laughs> it's actually not the same brand of the coat that had been stolen. And this coat, he said, fit him better than did his own. But he decided not to take it back. And writing about it, his nephew said that Mike was dog dogged by two questions. 
is there any possible goodness in keeping a coat that belongs to someone else? And secondly, if I don't know who that someone else is, how should I return what isn't mine? Marty goes on to cite a book called The Girl Who Smiled Beads. It's written by a survivor of the Rwandan genocide in 1994, a woman named Clementine Waramia, who in it she tells of a lesson she learned from her mother, an operating principle for how to make life work, and that principle was sharing. She said, when slicing an orange to share, we were never to think, this orange is mine, I'm giving you what's mine. We were to think, this orange is ours. We're sharing what's ours. Marty goes on to say that in words reminiscent of the early church community that held all things in common, Waramilla was describing the limits of a you give, I take, or I take, you give kind of thinking that both scenarios, he said, establish hierarchy and instill entitlement. And so he concluded, my uncle and the stranger on the street may both have sensed that in a world where people either prized ownership or are scared of having too little, there is a better way. Sharing is the path between the fear of deprivation and the shame of undeserved privilege. It is also the path of Jesus, one that he called forth from that first would-be disciple of long ago and continues to issue to you and me. And even if we're unwilling to sell everything that we have and give away. He calls us to be on this path in which we put money in its place, the place in which we share and bless others. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for the abundance of your love, for the undeserved blessings that we have received. We thank you for the privilege that you have extended for us to give in ways that show our gratitude and demonstrate that we know you are the source of everything. Help us to grow, O oh God, in that act of faithfulness and in seeking to embody all of those other hard teachings of your Son. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.